right. Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 17 here on December 29th, 2020. In the lull between Christmas and New Year's, I am your host, co-host Tom Pyle. I'm your co-host Mike McKenna. So Mike, how was Christmas? Good. Good. Everybody got presents. Everybody went to church. Everybody saw family. Usual stuff. I mean, don't tell the health guys that, okay? Outstanding. Uh, we had a wonderful time as well. We did church um, Christmas Eve, the four o'clock mass. Um, had a wonderful morning. And then we literally went to my in-laws house and had Chinese takeout for dinner. I feel like we're right out of a Christmas story. So, so <laughs> although I don't think you're allowed to run that. I don't think you could film that today. Yeah, that, we watched Christmas Story. I don't know Christmas, but I know the day before and the day after we watched Christmas Story. So it's a big fan favorite with the family. I also forced my children to watch It's a Wonderful Life. And of course, uh, I was crying like a baby as usual. So uh, anyway, so what do we want to start with? Uh, I think it would be uh, appropriate to start with the Corona bus since it's the big news of the day. Corona bus. Yes. The uh, president drove the, that bus right uh, into the station, signed it down in Mar-a-Lago. Um, he made all kinds of noise about uh, maybe potentially forcing these guys to go back to the drawing board and or at least um, stick around and do a little bit of work. But in the end of the day, he ended up signing this monstrosity. Unpack this for us a little bit, will you? Yeah, I think, you know, there's two things going on. One is, is that um, the two staffers in the administration who managed this, right? Secretary Mnuchin and um, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, right? Who's taken over the legislative affairs function um, should probably um, think real hard about what they want to do in their next lives because they're not going to be able to do politics, right? Um, you know, they, they both drove the guy into a dead end. And by the time he got to it, you know, he, he knew it was a, it was a terrible um, train wreck of the legislation, right? Um, but had no ability to offer alternatives, right? Because he got to it too late. And I know there's going to be people who say, well, he was briefed on it as it went along. Well, obviously, he wasn't briefed on it as it went along um, in the how he needed to be briefed and to what extent, right? So, um, you know, I walk away with two lessons from it. One is um, there's just a whole lot of members of Congress and United States senators who don't care that their power is ebbing away year after year with this stuff, right? Um, I hope there are some who do, but there's just a whole bunch who don't. That's, that's thought one. And then thought two is, is that um, I, I don't think the president's going to be particularly effective as a um, – a counter-programming voice to the Biden administration or just generally to the mess in D.C. Because it's just, it's, you know, w without some kind of, without some kind of infrastructure around him, he's just, he, he, he his, his instincts are right, but he has no ability to offer alternatives. Yeah, well, this, this is a recurring pattern with him. If you remember the first big massive spending bill yeah. where uh, he had Mad Dog Mattis behind him. Yeah like staring at him and you could see on his face that it was paining him to sign the thing, but he wanted the military plus ups. And as a result, they, you know, he had to sign the thing. So, you know, I, I'd like to say, well, it's unfortunate, but it's also a matter of his own doing, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't put guys and gals around you that are looking out for you, um, then this is what, 
Yeah. This I mean, is what you end up with. And and he could, I mean, he really could have, I mean, what, who does he owe anything to at this point? That's right. I mean, so it, he could have just vetoed the thing or pocketed be pocket vetoed the thing and made these guys, you, a friend of ours sent over a, um, uh, an article from the Hill that said that Trump is now the most admired man in America. Yeah. Well, surpassing Barack Obama. Yeah, you got to get the numbers on that, right? Because it's he got eighteen, and 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 President Obama got fifteen, and the next guy down the list got twelve. So it wasn't like he got seventy-five percent, right? He just he, you know, he he in a race of one-legged men, he managed to to, you know, squeak it out. Yeah, <laughs> but I think in part, uh, and I'm stealing this from you, in part it's because the people who like him agreed with him that the stimulus bill was a piece of this overall, this process and this Corona bus was a piece of crap. So, and yet he turned around and signed it. So. Yeah. I mean, it, and that's the thing, right? It, he wrecked that. The, the, the disappointing thing is he recognized that it was not good and signed it anyway. You know, and that, that is a, that is a level of um, surrender that we have not seen previously. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and that it just really goes to show you that, you know, as hard, as hard as you can. I mean, the inertia around this town to spend money and to basically like, you know, uh, this was all pent up, right? This was all pent up programs. It's like, throw this in and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. And, and here we are now with, uh, you know, at the, on the eve of his presidency, most likely um, the one of the worst pieces of legislation probably in modern history. Uh, I, I will go past that and say it's the most uh, pathological thing I've seen in the federal government in my life. Probably not, you know, maybe not as bad as the Iraq war vote, but probably pretty close in terms of just process breaking down completely and winding up with a suboptimal result, right? Well, uh, unfortunately, we're stuck with this monstrosity. And, and speaking of monstrosities, one huge section of this legislation, of course, is the Energy uh, uh, Bureaucracy Act or the Energy Policy Bureaucracy <laughs> Act. Politics. This is how sad it was. They couldn't, even, <laughs> they couldn't even call it something cool. They called it the Energy Policy Act just to make sure the dweebs all knew they should be in favor of it. And of course, this was the uh, started out as the Murkowski legacy uh, bill from the Senate ended up being probably a healthier uh, dose of the House bill that never even saw the Senate floor in any way, shape or form. But uh, the energy bureaucracy empower the bureaucracy act has a whole slew of brand new programs for the Department of Energy and who has Joe Biden enlisted to help implement uh, these programs uh, for the Department of Energy? None other than the former governor of Michigan, Jennifer Granholm. And we're going to do something different here on the Unregulated Podcast. Instead of rehashing all the great stuff that's been uh, that's out there on the former Michigan governor, who, by the way, has been interviewing or lobbying for this job for the better part of a decade, uh, we're going to bring on our very first guest ever in the unregulated podcast our very good friend jason hayes for the mackinac center for the for public policy in michigan they're a free market think tank much like the institute for energy research um, here in washington uh, jason 
thank you for taking time out of your, I'm sure, very busy schedule between Christmas and New Year's to join us here in the Unregulated Podcast. And congratulations on being the very first guest that we've ever had. I, I definitely am enjoying this position, a pulled position, I guess, the, <laughs> the first guest. So, and, and just as a little insider, uh, poor Jason has had to endure this twice now because I believe my microphone was on mute for a better part of the, our first attempt at this, but nonetheless, you're here again. So all those tell us what we things that I said, they just got <laughs> lost to eternity. They're forever lost, except they'll come out in those bloopers, right? Right, exactly. But when we're like this absolutely famous, famous podcast and, and everyone looks back and says, that's the model for podcasting. Anyway, listen, um, you guys have been doing, obviously, uh, free market think tank in Michigan. So you all have um, the benefit of, of the experience here. There's a lot of, um, let's say, suppression of information about Jennifer Granholm and her tenure as governor of Michigan. And uh, what can... What can we expect from this governor? What makes her tick? And, you know, she claims to be like implementing Joe Biden's going to be implementing Joe, Joe Biden's plan to save the world from climate change. Uh, what are we going to get out of this out of this potential uh, secretary of energy? Yeah, we can expect to see what Joe Biden had in his campaign website, which was kind of Green New Deal light. And she's all for that. Her experience, her the, the projects that she tried to put in, uh, Governor Granholm tried to put in when she was in power in Michigan, um, we've described it in a few different op-eds. I had one in The Hill. My colleague, Jared Skorup, had one in USA Today. Well, Jason, we're going to throw both of those articles in our show notes for our listeners. Cool. Thank you. Um, but one example that uh, that Jarrett wrote about uh, where he explained she approved billions for in actual subsidies, tax credits and that sort of thing. But she approved 434 projects. And then we looked at uh, how many are still in existence today. Ten, which works out to two point three percent of those projects that have been actually successful Okay, 2.3% is slightly lower than the number of scientists who disagree with the remaining scientists about the, the threat of climate change. So not yeah. a very good track record. She has a reverse consensus on whether or not she's successful. So yeah, I mean, not Hall of Fame numbers either, if you're if you're tracking it. <laughs> she's below, she's below the governmental Mendoza line. <laughs> So that's what people can expect. That's uh, coming from uh, basically an economic, a political position, which is the Secretary of Energy. It's their job to govern energy development in, in the country. So they're dealing with nuclear energy, um, dealing with the nuclear stockpiles. They're dealing with research on what sort of new energy we should be using to power the country. And she has a track record of definitely just spending billions of dollars on failed green boondoggles. Can you give us a couple of highlights? Um, what, what could we advise our, our senators uh, who will be scrutinizing her record, uh, uh, some of her greatest hits in terms of failures in this, in this area? Yes, yeah, some of the ones that uh, I listed in my article, Jarrett listed in his a123 systems, which was an Ann Arbor 
Ann Arbor-based battery manufacturer for EVs. <clears throat> Both Granholm and Obama promised that they were going to produce hundreds or thousands of jobs. They got hundreds of millions of state and federal dollars. A123 went bankrupt, did nothing. So no manufactured batteries there. LG zero? Is that a zero? Zero. Yeah, and LG Chem was the even better example because that's the one. LG still exists as a, as a pretty successful company, but the state gave them $125 million, and they were going to make Michigan, according to Governor, then Governor. Great again. Granholm. They were going to make it great again. <laughs> that, and also the world capital for advanced batteries. So Michigan was going to you know, be back on the scene in a big way. But as they often do, they had poor timing. It's one of those things. Government is investing other people's money, so they don't care so much about timing. That doesn't really matter because they're just going to make things happen. So since there was no demand for the batteries, the people that were hired literally just sat around and played games and watched movies. They did basically nothing. So the, again- But, the but Jason, the question is, were they good paying union jobs? Because that's part of Joe Biden's right. promise. That's the most important part. I'm sure they were good paying because those people were paid to sit around and watch videos and do nothing. <laughs> and they had to keep them on the, um, the payroll because if they didn't, those federal dollars would stop coming in. So it was worth it for the company to pay people to sit there and watch movies so that they could continue to get federal subsidies. So they went through and Jared describes they had, you know, hundreds of jobs promised, nine different press releases, and they produced zero batteries. So that's what we can expect. And then, well, okay, the, so the you know the the critics will say, well, you know this is this happens, right? I mean, we're you know some of these projects are going to fail, but man, when the ones that that don't go gangbusters and it's going to change the world. So, what's a few billion here, million there? Come on, man, lighten up. Let me ask you, like, what was the vetting process like for some of these projects? That's the best story of all, <laughs> <laughs> is the Rasco fiasco. That's the, the best of them all. There was uh, a guy who, uh, Richard Short is the guy's name, uh, which I'm guessing what, where the Rasco came from, Richard something Short Company. But uh, they were literally having the press conference where this guy was standing up and he was talking about his cutting edge company and the state was bragging on this company. And on the video feed, the people were watching and one person who was watching was this guy's parole officer who called and said, uh, yeah, actually this guy is a convicted embezzler with a history of scams. So that guy <laughs> at the time, uh, Jarrett described, he was living in a borrowed trailer when he- In a van down by the river. <laughs> so, in a van down by the river, he got approved for <laughs> state tax credits, and eventually he went back to jail. Nothing. That is amazing. So his parole officer saw him on the uh, on the on the press conference. Correct. And they nice. called up and they're like, "This guy, <laughs> he's not serious." Well, I'm very excited that uh, that she will be uh, stewarding uh, the billions of dollars that the Congress will be 
funneling her way, no doubt, in the Biden administration to spend to try to save our, our precious planet from the existential threat that it is, that is climate change. Yeah, and the fun part of this is when she was dealing with Michigan's situation, her budgets were a little bit more restricted. Now she's got all these federal dollars, so she doesn't just have to rely on Michigan taxpayers. You guys can help foot the bill for it too now. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Have, I actually have one threshold question for you, and then I'll turn it over to Mike for any thoughts. Who is worse as a governor, Granholm or the one you have now, Governor Whitmer? Well, I, I was not in Michigan when Granholm uh, was was governor, so I avoided that. Um, man, oh, man. Yeah, you would have to ask the people who lived here in both administrations, but they have their, uh, they both have their unique characteristics. I'll say that, being polite. Yeah, being very polite. I, I am, uh, I have the utmost sympathy for, for our friends in Michigan. Uh, such an amazing state. Um, and man, I'll just, I'll tell you, I'm just so frustrated with these governors, these Democrat uh, administrations running these these states into the ground. It's just it's a tragedy. So, Mike, you got anything? You got anything for Jason? I, you know, I'm I'm just just want to know: Is anybody concerned that we're giving a Canadian control over our nuclear weapons? I mean, <laughs> they don't have any of their own. Why would we give Mars? She is a naturalized citizen. I'll give her that. So I, that don't count for much. <laughs> America, you got to like, got to be an American to no, take but, jobs. Don't worry about it, because, you know, Biden said point blank, there's no more of this America first business. Dude, she's a superstar. You just yeah. shut up. She's a superstar. And she's I'm sure she, she, is. Has, she has a very um, sincere interest in energy. Worked for Mayor Pete. He had an interest in transportation. So if you have an interest in energy, I'm sure that's that's all a high, high, That's qualified enough. Right. So we're calling him pot Pothole Pete. So he's going to fix all the potholes. All right. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking some time out here in the uh, uh, the lull between Christmas and New Year's. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas holiday. And um, I'm hoping, looking very much forward to getting together again soon and, uh, and sharing a beer with you, man. Thanks for being our first guest here on the Unregulated Podcast. Jason Hayes from the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, let's let's continue talking about Biden, shall we? I want to play a clip for you, Mike. And uh, uh, this kind of sums up um, uh, uh, what we're in for here. Uh, and one of the reasons he brought in the superstar Jennifer Granholm as part of his climate dream team. So let me throw this out for you. Today, we heard from the leaders of the state and USAID agency review teams about the critical early investment we're going to need to make in our diplomacy in our development efforts and in rebuilding our alliances to close the ranks with our partners and bring to bear the full benefits of our shared strength for the American people. When we consider the most daunting threats of our time, we know that meeting them requires American engagement and American leadership, but also that none of them can be solved by America acting alone. Take climate change, for example. The United States accounts for less than 15% of the global carbon emissions. 
but without clear, coordinated, and committed approach from the other 85% of the carbon emitters, the world will continue to warm. Storms will continue to worsen. Climate change will continue to threaten the lives and livelihoods and public health and economics of our existence and our, literally, the very existence of our planet. Well, there you have it. I The very existence of our planet is, you know, kind of a step up in anxiety. You know, I, I don't blame him for not knowing anything. Um, you know, he's just a, he's just a politician, but um, somebody at some point should have read that for him and said, hey, um, really the only thing that can threaten the existence of a planet would be like an asteroid strike or a black hole or something like that. Or, or mutually assured nuclear annihilation, perhaps. I mean, you know, the, the bottom line is, and this is something nobody wants to hear, global average temperatures have been warmer than present. They've been colder than present. We've had more CO2 in the air, and we've had less CO2 in the air. And none of that stuff ever seems to be related, or if it is, it's uh, contrary to what people think. So it, th these guys are just... The rhetoric is so crazy. And, you know, the only part of that that was interesting was he he, he got that, hey, man, we are 15% of global emissions and we are not rising. We are falling, which means pretty much everybody in the United States could drop dead tomorrow morning and um, CO2 concentrations would continue to increase in the atmosphere. And no amount of... Um, Governor Grandholm and Brian Deese and Gina McCarthy is going to change any of that. Well, I, I think it goes beyond that. And, and, you know, we all, if this was the crisis that it is, and if it was the, the, the way that he just described it, not, and not one of the proponents of top-down government solutions have, are, are showing any amount of urgency whatsoever yeah on this issue it's 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 that is why i keep saying you you don't i mean then you know all you set out all the rhetoric set everything aside if this is exactly how you feel then you need to declare a climate urgency yeah if this is exactly how you feel then as our one of our friends said you need to bring cap and trade back to the floor tomorrow if this is the exact deal you need a carbon tax in the neighborhood of 300 plus dollars a ton yeah. to bring our our emissions down to zero yeah i mean i, I agree and with that. as he just pointed out it would be a 15 percent of the quote-unquote problem so you know i'm so sick and tired of hearing like oh, if you don't think that climate change is a problem you know you or if you, you just you don't recognize the the severity of it and this and that hogwash it's irrelevant the severity this and that the all of this is not about this is not about what they say it is this is about using the levers of government to force technology yeah into a marketplace that is not ready for it that consumers don't want well, or will force them others into continued poverty and all of the implications that of that and and you talk about we talk about china 
we're gonna we're gonna get, we're gonna unpack the China thing here. Uh, but what were you gonna say? Sorry. No, I was just gonna say, you know, two things. One is, you're right. If you, this thing's a as existential crisis, you guys better start acting like it. And then two is, um, you know, somebody might want to let the Chinese in on it because they are proceeding apace with their plans to take over the world by, in part, by relying on affordable um, energy, right? Which for the Chinese means coal. Lots of coal. Um, so we have a we have a blog coming out on the Institute for Energy Research. It's not it's not uh, on the website yet, but I want to pull out some some highlights of it. And the title is China's economy is based on fossil fuels. Now, I personally don't like the term, but it, it, it encapsulates mm. China's economy generates eighty six percent of its primary energy consumption from three sources. Okay, that's higher than the the global uh, number, which is around 80%. China's investments in these sources continue to grow across the board, despite all this noise at the media about being committed to some green energy future. They added 11.4 gigawatts of new coal-fired capacity in the first six months of 2020. These plants will run efficiently unless they are mothballed for 40 to 50 to even 60 years in some cases, right? They are building uh, new, uh, they are planning to expand about an additional 10% within five years of coal-fired generating capacity okay so this is not a country that is planning to go green anytime soon they just opened a 30 billion dollar railway line 2,000 kilometers that's 20 1243 miles for us americans to haul 200 million tons of coal a year directly from central coal mining basins to regions in the southeast okay that's just coal they're also investing heavily in their oil refining capacity, and they're just about to unseat us as the leader in petroleum refining. Okay, so all this noise about how China is like leading the way and we can't like cede our leadership to China uh, on the clean energy future is not based or grounded on any sort of real reality whatsoever. If China really were to be honoring their commitments in the Paris Agreement, they would have to stop building coal power plants right now, right this second. They would have to immediately stop. And then they would have to go beyond that and start decommissioning. Yeah, they're, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to do any of that stuff. I mean, it's, it's, we should figure out some way to bet on what everyone's going to do on their Paris commitments, right? Because I mean, it's just, it's, Eventually, this whole thing's going to have to run across some consumers, and you know the rhetoric is going to run across actual cost increases, and I think that's where people are going to be pretty, pretty, pretty concerned. You know the the Ford, not to not to switch, but it is it's a little bit of a switch, right? Um, right, the Chinese are not interested in spending more for energy. I'm not sure Americans are interested in spending more for cars. The Ford, um, I'm going to call it a Mustang because Ford calls it a Mustang but it's a crossover and it looks horrible. The electric 
vehicle crossover that Ford coughed up, 56,000 bucks, 56,000 bucks. That's almost twice. It, not almost. It's twice what a regular crossover is. I think the average price of a car now is in, in the low 30s. Yeah. I mean, who the hell's going to buy? Uh, who's going to buy that? I, I, I just, you know, that came out the other day and everyone's like, oh, it's a great car. You know, all the car, all the car guys, are like, it's a great car. It's a great car. It's a great car, but it's not worth 56,000 bucks. I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's going to, you know, if you have 60 grand for a car, you're going to buy a great big giant Suburban um, and, you know, gas, and you're going to run it for as long as you can. I just, it, 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 I have no idea how they square rhetoric with reality on any of this stuff. I really don't. And, and, you know, when, when a guy like Biden runs around talking about the very existence of the planet, it just makes it all the more ridiculous. Yeah, um, I think, I actually, I actually think that um, the, the rest of the countries like the United States and what's going on in Europe too is actually to place to China's advantage. Sure. Because they're actually going to be taking, if, if they're depressing the price of these commodities, they're, it's not like they're not going to buy it. Yeah. They're not going to buy it. It's not like they're not going to buy it at a discount. Yeah. I and mean, it's clear if anyone did, did any like just basic research, they would see that this, this country is building massive amounts of, of hydrocarbon based energy production sources to to prepare for what they anticipate and hope will be growth um, of their you know economic growth in their country so that the the chinese communist government there can do pretty much what what it wants to it wants to in the country in the world in fact yeah it's it's a it's a good strategy if you're chinese right um if you're china right beggar beggar get your neighbors to beggar themselves and then you know um use that as leverage i would be amazed i have no proof of this i don't want to get sued but i would be amazed if it, if you it, always you always worry me when you say i would be i would be amazed if at the end of this that that we don't find out that more than a handful of ngos in the west have taken money from the Chinese Communist Party or the China um, Chinese government, I would be very surprised. Uh, I think it goes beyond that too. Um, let me play this clip from the Secretary of State and, and let's chat about this for a little bit. Look, they know that left-leaning college campuses are rife with anti-Americanism and present easy targets for their anti-American messaging. That's why they planted Confucius Institutes on our campuses. And under President Trump, our State Department has made very clear These Confucius Institutes are literally up to no good. Many have gone away. Many campuses have seen that, and they've chosen to close down these institutes. But right here in Georgia, Wesleyan College still has one in Macon. Look, it's why there are groups on campuses called Chinese Student Scholars Association here, too. They're directed and almost always funded by the Chinese embassy or a local Chinese consulate. Its purpose, to keep tabs on students and to press pro-Beijing causes. Now you would think at freedom-loving places like Georgia Tech and institutions and scholars all across the world, administrators, school, school faculty would be more up in arms about the Chinese Communist Party's outright theft and flagrant violation of freedoms that I've described, but we see it too seldom. Well, why? Why do schools censor themselves? 
They often do it out of fear of offending China. Indeed, I must tell you that MIT was an interest in having me to their campus to give this exact set of remarks. President Raphael Reif implied that my arguments might insult their ethnic Chinese students and professors. But of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Those are the very people that this set of remarks is intended to protect, to protect their freedoms. So if, you, if, you, if you're critical of China, if you're uh, even remotely um, questioning some of the behaviors and motives, then you're what, a racist? You're insensitive? If we can't have discussions in this country anymore about these kind of topics and these kind of subjects without turning it into some question about your, you know, how you view the world, uh, racism, for example, I, I don't, I don't see how, I don't see how this goes. I, I don't see how this ends well. No, it, it, it doesn't, right? We're going to, we're going to have more conflict with, with China, um, you know, and, and uh, Secretary Pompeo is right, right? The, um, the Chinese understand that American weakness is the dollar, right? We like to make money. Um, and you think about, I think about two things in particular, right? The Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania, or as I've pointed out before, um, the president-elect did not in fact go to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, but the Biden Center accepted some $70 million from the Chinese, right? From various um, organizations and people inside of China, right? Not all of them savory. Um, that's going to come up for sure at, um, Secretary, at, at, at Secretary Pompeo's um, nominated uh, successor, right, Anthony Blinken. He was running the, he was running the Biden Center when that money came through, right? So that and, um, and the Chen um, School of Public Health at Harvard, right, which has been, um, which is, you know, the founder thereof has been involved in mainland China, and that means um, has rubbed up against the Chinese Communist Party too. So in a lot of cases, American universities are impaired by conflicts of interest involving money. Chinese understand this, right? And like I said, they're, they're a much more formidable adversary than the Russians. Um, you know, the Russians were, are not subtle, we're not subtle. Um, you know, they're, they're you know, a bit bumbling, alcoholic, you know, not a particularly um, well put together country. The Chinese are serious, organized, uh, understand us and want to explore our weaknesses yeah i mean it's it's also very uh, the the differences are are you know go back way way back through history right i mean the the russians had basically were one of the last countries to switch modernize. out of this yeah to modernize and and they still in a lot of ways are are are, are stuck in those ways china's been around for a very long time has played the long game um yeah. you know uh from the beginning and I think that we are going to see uh, them flex their muscles in a very short, in, in the short run here. Now we are, you know, we are not, I am certainly not a foreign policy expert, but we have covered the China energy angle ad nauseum at the Institute for Energy Research and uh, uh, point our listeners to uh, numerous, all you got to do is Google China and Energy on our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. And you'll see what they've been doing even during this pandemic, where they have been stockpiling oil 
uh, for example. This is a country that a, co a country run by um, uh, whose leaders go to global Paris agreements uh, or the cops. The the, the what are they? Conference of the parties. They go to these these meetings where everyone else is talking about how to handcuff themselves, and they secure energy deals. Yeah, they're you know they're they're um, they're savvy and. You know, if, if the Biden administration is serious about migrating the United States to electric vehicles, they, China is going to gain another advantage, right? Because um, a good chunk of lithium flows through China and and they literally just bought the second largest cobalt mine in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So, you know, the Chinese are uh, Chinese communists are playing this thing very, very well. And the Americans seem to be sleepwalking through it. So. Not going to turn out well. All right. So where where is the first test going to be? Uh, going to put on your foreign policy hat and and tell me what what could we what could we see out of them in terms of a a test, if you will. I could I mean, easily I could easily I mean you know look everybody likes to everyone likes to challenge a new president right nobody try nobody challenged Trump because you know he, he everybody pretty convinced he's legit crazy and might actually <laughs> do, something, do something right. Um, but everybody likes to challenge a new president, especially one who's over the course of his career has been wrong about so many things, right? Um, if I was China and I wanted to take Taiwan, now's a good moment to do it. That, you know, no, no, no real American presence in the Pacific is going to prevent it. Um, you know, why not? What the hell? I mean, you think about the list of things over the last 10 years that built, they built the islands, the, the, um, near the Philippines, right? They, they um, run a bloodless coup, a mostly bloodless coup in Hong Kong, and no one said a word about it. Yeah. So if you're the Chinese, you walk away with one clear thought in your head, hey, nobody's gonna do anything apparently, yeah. so let's just do what we want. And, and I think that's where we're ultimately headed. Some, some thing that's going to be more military than political, and it's gonna be very difficult for the Americans to deal with. The only good thing about it is something like that would bring clarity to the situation. Nobody would be able to pretend um, that somehow it's okay to deal with the Chinese. And you know, that's the, that's the most disturbing part. That, of, may be, that may be the very thing that prevents them from doing it. If I were them, I would want to keep the Americans fat, happy, and tranquilized. And right now we are fat, happy, and tranquilized. I mean, if you look at the um, influences on the culture, that that is a lot of experts point out that's that's the very way to get at this right yeah it, it we're gonna see americans are slow to recognize threats slow to act on them but when they when we get when we get ourselves organized and arranged we tend to do a pretty good job at it all right what else is on your mind my friend uh, mr trump is the most popular man in america <laughs> uh, <laughs> most admired admired sorry not popular admired um, knocking off President Obama um, for the first time in, I think, 12 years. So that's exciting, even if it is with only 18% of the vote, a, a narrow plurality. Um, I think Elon Musk made that list. Uh, Elon, I could see that, Elon Musk. He, you know, he, there are a lot of Americans who, thinks he, who think he is a legitimate inventor. And, and you know, truthfully, if he would stick to space rockets and stay out of electric vehicles, I would think that too. Well, don't forget there were solar panels too. So. Uh, I think he inherited that from one of his idiot cousins, right? Or brother-in-law or something. 
Yeah, but he's going to revolutionize that as well. Look, he is the modern. I can't, I'm not even going to say he's P.T. Barnum because uh, I, have a lot, I have more respect for P.T. Barnum. I am not an Elon Musk fan. Shocker, I know. I can't um, figure out. You know, the thing about him is I can't figure out if he's like really smart and has, you know, figured out how to exploit California's stupidity. Um and he's like a great inventor, or if he really is just a, a, a you know, an elaborate game of three card Monty here. Um, I just, the rocket thing makes me think that there's something there, but maybe. Yeah, I'm, but the rocket thing is they're not mutually, um, they're, they're, they're they, can be the, they can be the same thing. I mean, what I suspect that he does and does well is just basically throw a bunch of money at a, at a challenge in the case of all of this, all of this electric vehicle garbage, how do I capitalize on, you know, this, this democratic, and I mean by the democratic, the democratic party's fever for all this green stuff. Well, hire a bunch of people and say, okay, tell me all the loopholes. Tell me how I get as much government money as humanly possible for yeah. this deal. Yeah. And, no one's done it as well. Um, and honestly, he's had governments, he's had state governments have special sessions of their legislature. I know. And I'm sure to create subsidies just for him. I know. And and I was gonna, that's one thing I'm sure of. Um, I'm sure Texas is ultimately gonna be sorry that they got him. Because he's yeah, we, gonna be he's gonna be as destructive and corruptive to that state government as he was to California's. Yeah, we talked about this briefly last week. The Texans are bragging about all these Californians moving there. Don't be don't be all excited because it's not going to be great. No, I mean the good thing about Austin is no matter where you go from Austin, if you leave Austin, you end up in Texas. Yeah, you know the thing <laughs> the thing that's bad about that is, and you and I have seen this, right? It's a Washington problem. All the staff and all the media who follow state government live in Austin, which means they're going to, they're going to rub elbows with these guys who work at Oracle and from Musk and all this. It's all of a sudden going to be their social um, soup that they live in. Right. And that's always bad. Just like DC here. Right. You and I've had this conversation a hundred times. Members are always to the right of their staff. Always. Diane Feinstein is a perfect example of that throughout right. her career. Yeah, members are always to the right of their staffs because they, they actually have to go back and get elected. But the staffs all live here and think this bubble is normal. I hate to see something like that happen in Austin, but I guarantee you it's almost it's going to happen. It's just 10 years, 12 years, 10 months. I don't know how long it's going to take, but guys like Musk, they corrupt stuff. Um, the interesting thing that happened this week was, or last week, when Musk said that he, he took his his car thing, his EV thing to Apple, and they said no, right? And I thought to myself, that's interesting. Why would Apple say no? Um, I have reservations about Apple, but they are pretty much a square operation, right? They don't try to game any political systems. They just try to sell you product, right? Um, interesting that- um, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll finish that up, uh, but I do, I wanna take a little bit of challenge. Well, interesting that, interesting that a company like Apple, which, which produces good product, right, and sells good product and is not all that interested in, in making millions of billions off government, took a pass on the Musk thing. I wonder if they took a look at it and said, 
Yeah, this is this is more about um, about grifting off the government than it is about building stuff. So let me let me talk about Apple and my view about Apple because you know I've been like an Apple guy for a very long time and just kind of believed very strongly in Apple and 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 thought that Steve Jobs was you know pretty pretty cool yeah. Uh, yeah. overall. Steve Jobs never cared about all this stuff that yeah. we care about now. Um, he cared about products. Yeah, he cared about the quality of products. He cared about the control quality control of the products. And, you know, uh, this is a very different Apple, uh, a very yeah. different Apple. And I wasn't certain about the timeline, like which Apple rejected Musk, whether it was Jobs or the Tim Cook Apple, or to bar from the president, whether it was the Jobs Apple or the Tim Apple Apple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, so, so speaking of, uh, you talked about uh, Ford and Tesla and EVs and everything. Um it was funny. I don't know if you heard this, but um, uh, Ford threw a little shade at Tesla over their quality. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you. you I, let, let me read it real quick and then yeah. we can talk about it. So, in an interview with Autoblog and the margins of the launch of the Mustang Mach E, which you mentioned earlier, you, you can put Mustang in air quotes. Um, Darren Palmer, one of the original members of Ford's Edison team, said that the electric vehicle buyers until now had to compromise and accept some flaws. He said, the doors fit properly, the plastics and other materials color match, the bumpers don't fall off, the roof doesn't come off when you wash it, the door handles don't get stuck in cold weather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get it, right? You, you make cars for a living and you're excited about having all the fit and finish stuff, right? Um, but if I was Ford, I might hold my tongue until I actually sold a couple of these things and we found out what their range really is and what their battery life is. Because you know what? There's some things that fit and finish doesn't affect. And that is how long this car actually lasts, how it runs, and does it have any issues? I guarantee you some Ford car is going to burst into flames. Some, some, car car, some Ford EV is going to burst into flames at some point, right? Well, so, that's inevitable if it's a lithium right. ion battery, which exactly. is, goes back to the technology. But it, this goes back to what I was saying about Musk. He's all about yeah, yeah, producing yeah. the car to get the Zev credit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, I, I get it totally. And that's right. That's right. Um, like I said, and maybe you're right. Maybe I'm thinking about it too narrowly. Maybe his genius is both rockets and grifting, um, which is completely possible right anybody with the mind anybody who's smart enough to figure out how to um, build some rockets and get them to land is probably smart enough to game california's um credit system right yeah and yeah. and again he's he's not an he's you know he's not a he's not a he's not a designer of rockets he's not a designer of cars he's not a designer of solar panels <laughs> he is a he is a is a logistics guy or he's a you know like a front guy basically is what he is i mean there's nothing genius there per se i mean i don't got nothing against him personally but well i take it back i kind of do if this is indeed his mo right which is how do i take from those who have less than me 
to amass my fortune, which is what this subsidization racket is really a lot about. It's yeah. on so many micro micro levels. The the actual purchasers of his car, for example, are the the average. Um, They're rich. Is a hundred and twenty hundred plus thousand dollars a year the guy the you know the, these people make and they're getting seventy five hundred dollars from the federal government they're getting in some cases five grand from the state in some cases they're getting a couple a couple grand from like the city of Boulder for example so it it's it's you know it's 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 ridiculous it's corruptive it's all that stuff I agree and you know what I don't worry too much about it because twenty years from now or fifty years from now or whatever everyone's going to have some well developed thoughts on on Mr. Musk, I'll be dead, so it won't matter to me. Um, you know, stop talking like that, man. Well, fifty years from now, we're never going to be dead. Sure. That's <laughs> anyway, so that's that. Um, the other thing that I thought, the other thing of interest that I thought, just in passing, was the um, right after the relief bill passed, Biden guys right away said we're going to have another relief bill at the top of next year. Um, so. You know, for, for those of you who are thinking, hey, this isn't so bad. We're going to get out of this thing with $5 trillion. Um, there's at least one more fight left. And you know that next one's going to be a couple more trillion. So, yeah, it's, um, I guess Nancy got her $1 trillion. She might get her $2 trillion as well. The runoffs in Georgia mean a lot in that regard, I think, probably more than anything else. I know the margins are close, but the difference between the gap who has the gavels for these committees determines the overall budget number and then will also determine who sets the hearing schedule and all that other stuff so in in the, i know the margins will be tight either way but when it comes to spending money i don't think that the republicans um, are are quite frankly that far behind the democrats in terms Lance, of about about a month ago i wrote how important the runoffs in georgia were in my column next Monday, I will more or less retract that column and apologize for it. Uh, you care for a preview on that? No, I just said, look, I, you know, I mean, if, if the Corona bus is any indication, then, mm. um, you know, maybe this, maybe these races don't mean as much as I thought they meant. Very good point. Very good point. Although I do think that um, Mitch McConnell is going to rediscover the, the, the importance of getting a hold or a handle on our debt <laughs> so yeah so are these uh, uh so we we talked about china and the fact that they're building a lot a lot of coal-fired electricity one thing that's also happening right now uh, and this goes back to sort of that geopolitical um uh angle here is a couple things one a friend of ours sent us an article uh china is basically an they can do this because they can do whatever they want. The authorities are instructing their railway companies to dump all of their cargo, except for thermal coal, um, and moving it to areas where they're in short supply. Uh, and people are actually freezing to death uh, in a lot of places in China. Um, some of the major railways were instructed to cancel all train appointments to ensure the stability of power supply in Inner Mongolia and South China during the winter, the sources said. So uh, shortages of thermal coal for their power grid. Um, here's another line. Power grids for thermal coal, and I'm going to butcher these, Zhangji and Hunan were running at their respective maximum capacities. Amid this shortage of alternative sources of renewable energy, 
common theme here. More thermal coal plants are required to meet demand during peak winter sources said. Local power utilities should be built in order to ensure sufficient spare supply of electricity in the future before renewable energy is available to the market, an East China-based trader said. At the same time, this is going on, and I want to play the clip because it's always fun to hear an Australian accent. Hold on a second. Well, the fun China seems to be having banning Australian exports or applying those ridiculously high tariffs on our produce looks like it's biting them where it hurts. While 70 coal ships carrying about $1 billion worth of Australia's high-grade coal sit anchored off the Chinese coast, guess what has happened to their power supply? Massive electricity shortages are worsening by the day in China, forcing tens of millions, tens of millions of residents in large cities to ration heat. In the industrial hub of Zhejiang, the 57 million residents there have been told not to use heating during this very cold winter until the temperature falls below three degrees Celsius. How's that for internal torture? Some of the 67 million people in Hunan have been forced to climb 20 flights of stairs to get to their apartments because the lifts don't work. So no lifts for the elderly. China has brought this upon itself. We supply almost 60% of China's thermal coal imports for power stations. It's all well and good to close their border to our coal and watch our industries bleed and have some fun, but what a foolish own goal this has turned out to be. You can't show your population how mature and developed you become by freezing some of them to death, which will be the outcome of their ban on our thermal coal. So what's going on there? You know, the Chinese are are um, trying to trying to make trying to weaken the Australians, and you know, the Australian guy thinks that the Chinese care about their people suffering, and the Chinese Communist Party couldn't care less about that. You know, that's a that's a purely Western orientation thrown over an actual question. So, um, you know, it, it's it's just the Chinese are coming into conflict with the Australians eventually, just like they're coming into conflict with the Japanese eventually, just like they're coming into conflict with the Philippines. Filipinos already. Um, so, you know, that this is just one function of it, one feature of it. And um, I, I'm also, kind of- it is also be in part because Australia has not been, you know, rolling over. Yeah, I mean, on China, right? This is retaliation for for other things. That sure. Well, I mean, the, the, the Chinese, the Chinese submitted a list of grievances they had um, with Australians to the Australians, among them, including Australians open society, right? That the fact that freedom of speech and they voted for people and stuff like that, which yeah. is like, that's a, that's a hell of a grievance to have with somebody. Right. Um, it, it's. I Meanwhile, our secretary of state is not allowed to speak at MIT. Yeah. I worry about, I worry about the Australians. They're out there in the middle of a big ocean pretty much by themselves. So. Power and politics, um, they go in hand in hand, unfortunately. Um, That is why the the quest to get uh, the government out of the energy business is, let's see, uh, if if I'm in DC, I would say it's, it's uh, it assures employment, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) You know, anybody whose job it is to knock down dumb ideas is never going to be out of uh, out of work here in dc right indeed indeed um so um what do you got what do you got planned for new year's anything 
No. Literally nothing. Uh, fortunately for us, we stay home every New Year's anyway, so uh, yeah, we'll I, I be plan- we'll be fully compliant with Prince Fauci's orders for us to Actually, shut up and sit at home. So. I think I'm gonna yeah, I, I do that anyway at my age, so I'm good with that. What else we got? That's it for me. What else you we, got? Are we done? We're done. Do you have a clip of the day? Well, I have an inspiring message from our president-elect. If we'd like to, to play that up, definitely uh, a nice, play. a nice holiday message from President-elect uh, Joe Biden. We definitely want to hear that. Before I take questions, I'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. This has been a uh, one of the toughest years we ever faced as a nation. And the pandemic, the economic crisis, the calls for racial justice, historic and punishing wildfires and storms. So this season of reflection carries a much deeper meaning than it usually does. Over 320,000 lives lost to this virus. And Jill and I send our prayers, as I'm sure all of you do, to all who are facing this dark winter with an empty seat at the dinner table. Uh, where a loved one used to sit and talk and laugh and reminisce. Our hearts go out to all of you who have fallen on hard times, through no fault of your own, I might add, unable to sleep at night, weighed down with the worry of what tomorrow will bring for you and for your family. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The shining city on a hill. America's best days are yet to come. I I, I just had the same thought of my... That guy is no Ronald Reagan, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really, I really uh, encourage all of my listeners to use some of that coal-fired electricity to to heat their homes and light their lamps in this dark winter. Dark winter, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you have an empty seat, just pull it off the table. Don't set the don't set the don't set the place setting for it. Come on, man. Come oh, on, joke. Man. No joke. No joke. Well, fortunately, we have a climate dream team to come and sit, super, save us from all of that. They're superstars. All right. Well, that's a wrap for Unregulated. We'll be back in the new year. Um, as always, we appreciate you listening. We'd like to thank our first guest ever here on the podcast, Jason Hayes, for helping us out a little bit as well. And uh, what can I say? Happy new year, everybody. Happy new year. Thank you.